0: Our special speaker
1: for today. I'm really excited. I first met Rebetzin Candace before she was Rebetzin. In fact, uh, not that dissimilar to myself, we were both RKs, rabbis' kids. Her father uh, leads the congregation in San, San Antonio, Texas, called Baruch Hashem, uh, out there, and has been in the movement for many years. And uh, and so I first met Candace when she when I was leading the Young Messianic Jewish Alliance, The YMJA and uh, and I saw her at conferences, maybe fourteen years old, fifteen, and and the Lord just shined through this this teenager, and it was clear to me that wow, God is doing a work in her, and uh, and and the the light of the Lord just shined brightly, and by about sixteen, I'm like, man, we got to get this this young lady in our leadership, and so we brought her into leadership, and she started helping, planning, and directing our conferences, and year after year after year after year after year, after year and on our, and our leadership team, she was uh, uh, directing conferences in the ministries of the Young Messianic Jewish Alliance, and, uh, and just just such a tremendous blessing. Well, eventually, of course, somebody that uh, remarkable, she's also a talented worship leader, I didn't mention that last night, but uh, uh, somebody that talented, it wasn't long before uh She also caught the eye of of a of a wonderful person, and uh Rabbi Tim Hyslip uh and her uh, got married. they planted and started the congregation in Phoenix, Arizona. You think it's hot uh and uh but you know, what's that dry it is a dry heat you're right about that yeah um and so in any case. They planted the congregation Baruch Hashem in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, that has been going on for a number of years out there, and she's the, the Rebetzin at that congregation, is a teacher across conferences and, and, and within their congregation, of course, uh, frequently. And wow, I really think I've heard her teach numbers of times, and she has a real gift when it comes to teaching, but I'm going to tell you ahead of time. Prepare your hearts to receive whatever it is the Lord has for you. Maybe what you don't even expect or anticipate. He may be r- interested in touching you today, if you L-E-T, if you let him. So with all that, let's give her a big Beth Hillel welcome. Rebitson Candice High Slip, everybody. Woo! Check, 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 check.
2: Thank you so much, Rabbi Kevin. Shabbat shalom, everyone. I am so honored to be with you today, and I do believe that the Lord uh, has a word for this community. I bring warm and loving greetings from my father, Rabbi Roy Garcia and Robertson Mardi Garcia from San Antonio, and also lots of warm greetings from my husband, Rabbi Tim, in Phoenix, Arizona. yes you think this is Hotlanta. However, uh, just last week we were having temperatures 117, 118. You get in the car, and it's a toasty 122, 123. I heard you. It's a dry heat, but man, that dry heat feels like an oven, (laughs) I have to tell you. So I'm enjoying the cool, freezing weather here right now. It's very luxurious, I feel so refreshed. Minus the humidity, I'm not gonna lie. So, in praying for your community and for you, I really feel like the Lord has a word that he wants to speak to each of us today. And um, and so let's just, are you guys ready to dive in? So the title of this message, it's a little bit creepy here, but it's called After the Plague. And actually, it comes from this week's Parsha, Pinchas, and we'll just pick up here in Numbers 26, 1 and 2. It says, After the plague, Adonai said to Moses and Eleazar, son of Aaron the Cohen, saying, Take a head count of the entire community of Bene Israel, since 20 years old and upward by their ancestral houses, all who can serve in Israel's army. We see here, this is something similar because here we are, we're all sitting here after the plague, right? We're going into a re-entry stage and um, I was reading up on Georgia and how you know, the percentage of people who are excited to re-enter, the percentage of people who are scared to re-enter. And I get it. We have a similar situation in Arizona, but it's the wild west. So I think a lot of people cast off restraint way before. Um, But here we see, after the plague, we see the Lord extending a divine invitation to recalibrate come together as a community and do what he's called us to do. It's a divine invitation to come together, recalibrate, and do what he's called us to do. Well, we have, as a world endured a very traumatic last 17, 18 months. And you think about all the things that have happened, and everyone has had their own unique experiences, and we've also had these big collective experiences. And all of you, I'm I'm sure if we were to sit down at a Shabbat dinner, we could hear all the stories of what has happened over the last 18 months. Goodness, you've got Corona. Then we had political unrest in our country. We had social unrest in our country. We had the rockets in Israel. And everything in between. You know, I'm sure I'm leaving out tons of things. And people have been sick. Other people have died. You may have lost someone close to you. And your work probably changed too. Maybe you went from working in an office to working at home. Things slowed down a lot. And when they slow down, well, first maybe we have some dissociation and binge-watching Netflix for hours on end, and then it gets boring, right? And then you're faced with the reality of the condition of your own soul. It may be things that the Lord's been trying to get our attention with, whispers in the night, nudges here, sermons there, songs here to speak to the core of our heart, now there's nothing to distract us. Now there's nothing to take our attention away. We've had to come face to face. And I think so many of us have grown in that place of um, a greater self-awareness of just being before the Lord and knowing the condition of our heart. And some of us, maybe you're a healthcare professional, a doctor, a nurse, a rabbi. Uh, you know, I know for us, when we went into lockdown and we did not have public services, um, you know, someone told me, Oh, it must be so nice for you, just a little vacation with you and Rabbi Tim. I'm like, are you kidding me? The load is minimal. It's like a, a minimal of double. Sometimes it feels triple to, to, and it's such an honor to care for the precious community the Lord has entrusted to your care. But in the midst of a pandemic, goodness, I have to be honest with you, at times it just felt unbearable. I just want to take a minute. Can we just honor Rabbi Kevin and Rabbits and Tiffany for their incredible sacrifice and labor And the wisdom that the Lord has given them on how to navigate through a pandemic. And, you know, it's hard because we've never had a pandemic before like this. What do you do? How do you navigate? And there's all these controversial things that I won't say. (laughs) How, how do you decide in one way or another? And you know, then you have some people who want to make themselves more spiritual, but by deciding one way or another, and that's not the case here. But the Lord has given them so much wisdom, so much um, grace to navigate through this time, and these these have been unprecedented times. So in the same way that we've all experienced different measures of grief, and when I say grief. I'm talking about very specific things. We encounter grief when we experience loss, right? Death of a loved one, loss of a job, maybe loss of friendships that you thought were so secure and present and then they really were not. Loss. We also experience grief when we have failure. Maybe we have been trying to achieve something. Maybe we've been very task-oriented. or Maybe it's been moral failure that surprised you on your own end. Things that you never thought you would do, and then you gravitated toward. So grief is loss, it's failure, and it's also trauma. And when I say trauma, I'm specifically referencing a physical... Or emotional wound that you have in your heart. It's like a circuit was open and all your senses are, you know, on, it's like the gas pedals on go, right? And then that circuit never got to be closed and you're still in that place of going without the closing of a circuit to rest. It's sometimes identified as something that's too much, too soon, too fast, and you never get a chance to really catch your breath and have a Selah. This is trauma. And so here we are, and we're all here because we wanna be here, right? That's why we're here. We know that the Lord has called us as a community. We know that he's placed his calling upon our lives as individuals, and we're here because we love him, and we're here because we're ready to go forward. But we're here also in the midst of this holy tension between moving forward, right? That divine invitation to move forward. And many of us have all of these things that we're also holding before the Lord that we need healing with, with loss, failure, and trauma. And so we have here, very similar to this week's parsha in Pinchas, after the plague, there's this divine invitation to recalibrate. Now, during during the pandemic, I also had my own issues. I don't think that anyone didn't have issues. Um, And if you say you don't have issues, you probably have issues with telling the truth, right? Um, <laughs> I need to see a, a rabbi or a therapist, but everyone had issues. I'm no different. Um, I, rabbi Tim and I took our first ministry sabbatical last summer in the middle of the pandemic after 25 years of ministry, and boy, was I, I was beyond ready. Um, I kind of crashed into the sabbatical. Uh, I had a number of very intense and severe health issues Um, and I spent the majority of three months in a, a horizontal position either laying down or just yeah really just laying down and I couldn't I just couldn't get up and go I had no strength in me and so I went with my family on one one vacation and then they had all these other mini vacations and I just couldn't go and I'd heard of um, something called a silent retreat. And I thought, you know what, this is a perfect time. I really need a silent retreat. (laughs) I don't don't know how to do it, but I'm going to try. And so a silent retreat actually is you go to a place where there's no one around you, and you are there with the Lord and your Bible. And that's it. You don't text anyone. You don't talk to anyone. There's no distractions. You shut them all down. And you're just there with the Lord in your Bible. And the agenda is to respond to what he's saying through his word and by his spirit and prayer. And I'll be honest with you, it sounded intimidating, but I was so desperate for change that I thought, goodness, I've got to do this. So the first silent retreat I was like, okay, this is great. You know, the family was gone. um, I'm on my couch and my prayer spot. I've got uh, bone broth going and, you know, endless cups of Earl Grey tea. And I was so excited. 24 hours in, man, I'm like, I can't take this. I had to, like, blast Frank Sinatra's fly me to the moon throughout the house because I needed, uh, you know, a break. But I went back in and it was fine. So after the first silent retreat, I thought, man, this is great, but I need more. So then I had a second one, and then I had a third one, then I had a fourth one, and these silent retreats really changed my life, and I thought, you know what, I really need to incorporate this into my life as part of my regular practice before the Lord. So I have one about every six weeks or so, and... The last silent retreat I had, I could feel the Lord stirring my heart, and right before the pandemic started, Rabbi Tim and I went to this thing with Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend. Have you guys heard of them before? It's called The Ultimate Leadership, and it was a week of intensive lectures and also process groups. It also changed our lives. It was right, right before the pandemic. Everything shut down. And I remember I heard Dr. John Townsend talking about something called a grief inventory. And I could feel the Lord just wooing me. Candice, for the silent retreat, I'm going to ask you to do a grief inventory. I was like, oh, man, this is not happy-go-lucky, skipping through the daisies in a field. This is going to be hard stuff. But I knew that he was asking me to do it. And so I really began to prepare my heart, probably four weeks in advance. And as I was preparing my heart to do this grief inventory, if you have social media, I am sure your newsfeed has been bombarded with things with PTSD, complex PTSD, trauma, you know, all of these things, and how do we deal with it? And I thought, surely, and one of Dr. John Townsend's core values is everything that we see that is true within the world of psychology, it's all in scripture. And so I began to really um, dig into the word. And you know how sometimes you can read a passage like a hundred times and you read it and you sing it and you know it and you memorize it and it's dear to your heart. And then the Lord just highlights it in a different way to bring it to life. Well, I began to read Isaiah 53 and suddenly the Lord just arrested my heart with this transformational truth. And we're going to dig in here. Isaiah 53, verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs, And carried our pains, yet we esteemed him stricken, struck by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. The chastisement for our shalom was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. So I want to take your attention back to verse 3 and verse 4. And these are the things that the Lord really began to highlight for me. Verse 3 says, that he is a man of sorrows. And so I thought, you know, I'm reading this in the English. I really need to go back to the Hebrew and um, I can have my Israeli friends correct my Hebrew here. (laughs) But I learned that the word for sorrows is machovot, which means wounding or pain. It's a physical or mental wounding or pain. And it's very similar to the Greek word for wounding or pain. Anyone want to guess what that is? It's the word trauma. So wait a second. Yeshua is a man of sorrows or even trauma and acquainted with grief. And the word for grief is holy, properly to be rubbed or worn to become weak. And when we are in the midst of grief, it is that constant rubbing It is that rubbing on the soul, rubbing on the spirit, rubbing on the body, and you just need some sense of relief, but you sometimes are rubbed raw. And if you've lost someone, of course we experience that initial part of feeling numb. We dissociate from the pain just to get through the logistics And then once we come to that place where we're really able to process, goodness, it's like a sword is going through your soul. And I'm seeing a lot of heads nodding because you know that excruciating, unbearable pain. And so I thought, okay, well, Yeshua is acquainted with grief. And when I think of acquaintance, I think of like... Oh yeah, do you know this person? Well, you know, they're an acquaintance, like we're not in personal relationship, but you know, I know them. That's what I think of when I think of acquaintance or acquainted. But the word in the Hebrew is yada, that he intimately knows. In the same way that a husband and a wife intimately know each other, or that a way best friends know each other, yada, he intimately knows the grief, the trauma, and the pain. So much so that it says in verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our pains. He lifted it up, he carried it, he took it upon himself. So before I started the silent retreat when I was going to do the grief inventory, I felt really nervous because within a Jewish community, you know, we grieve as a community. We don't grieve alone. We sit shiva together. People come over to the house of the mourning family. You sit with them. You don't offer quaint little sayings. You just sit in silence. And that companionship is so healing. But as Americans when we're grieving with our own loss or failure, and it's not a death, we tend to grieve alone. And I think that really, if we're being honest with ourselves, there's something that's so frightening about grieving alone. But we know even in scripture that the Lord says, right, we sing it, Elohim lan God is our refuge and our strength a very present help in time of trouble. He is very present. He is ever present in our times of trouble and even in our times of grief. So I felt so nervous about doing this grief but this grief inventory, but I felt the Lord, I just had this image that kept coming up and kept coming up in the fullness of my heart and in my mind and in my understanding that Yeshua was inviting me into the river of grief. And if you've done grief work before, you know that a lot of times people um, make an analogy to grief being as a river. Have you heard that before? Because it's changing, and sometimes you have these big waves, and sometimes it's still, and you don't know which way it's going, and it kind of carries you along. And really, the only way to get through the river of grief, you can't build a bridge across it. And you can't, go around the other side. The only way way to get through is to get in the river. And I had this image of Yeshua extending his hand to me in the river, saying, come here. It's going to be fine. I'm with you in your grief, and I've carried it for you. And then he gave me this idea that just really blew my mind and gave me the confidence to wade in the water that it was gonna be submerging. But if I looked at it like a mikvah, right? And we know that the mikvah waters are so holy and so precious. You go down in a place of death, but you come back up with resurrection life. And I knew that I needed that resurrection life. I knew that I needed it. And that the only way to really obtain that was to get into the river of grief. And grief is holy, holy work. And as a Jewish community, it's it's really part of our nature. I mean, you look at all these different aspects, even in the Passover Seder, we have the Hillel sandwich, right, where we put the horseradish with the horoset, and uh, it brings tears to our eyes. We hold both in one hand, right? Uh, we have the grief of holocaust survivors we have the book of lamentations right this is part of how we heal and in psalm 56:8 it says record my misery list my tears on your scroll are they not in your record and you know the lord has been so faithful he has been so present and he has recorded all of your misery he knows and he has kept his your tears in his bottle that's what the word of god says and he's been so present you have not been left alone and he has healing for you today we see that david david knew how to grieve you read in the book of psalms all these examples jeremiah he was the weeping prophet isaiah he really had a lot of grief in his life, too. And mentioned lamentations. And even Daniel, in the time of revival, he took time to weep, to wail, to mourn, and to repent for the sins of his people and his forefathers. Grief is holy work. So how do we do this anyway, right? Okay, Candace. I hear you talking about grief, but how do we do this? So... This is what you do. You invite the Lord into your pain. And you may have memories that are coming up all the time. You may have even intrusive thoughts. And you're trying to like take them captive, maybe by shoving them away. But really, I think the Lord wants them to take them captive and lift it up to him. Like, Lord, what are you saying about this? We acknowledge what has happened. Sometimes it's hard for us. Maybe if you've grown up in a family where you've not been able to really express your heart, it's hard to be honest. Or it's hard to even label emotions. Maybe you need an emotion wheel. Google it, right? How am I feeling? All right, well, I feel sad, angry, disappointed. And maybe you've not been able to do that before. It's okay. But as you're acknowledging your pain, I want you to know that you have honor and honesty as two sides to the same coin. And sometimes we think that they're polar opposites, but they're actually the same, honor and honesty as two sides to the same coin. We take an inventory of the results. What happened because of this event? What did I lose? How has my life changed? How do I have to go forward differently? And then we forgive the people we forgive the people and we know the teachings on forgiveness. And the word in the Hebrew for forgive is nasa, it means to lift up. It doesn't mean that what they did was okay. It doesn't mean that we're necessarily going to forget about it, but we're lifting it up to the Lord. We're giving it to Him. We're getting out of the judgment seat and we're saying, Lord, I forgive. And maybe you've heard the saying that hurt people hurt people. But I have to tell you that healed people heal people. And once you forgive, you bless. You bless as from that place and posture of healing. And you bless them with the things that they need. Maybe they were so deficient in social awareness that they really hurt you. Maybe they're so deficient in relational management that they just can't keep it up. So Lord, I bless them. I bless them with the peace and the shalom and the wisdom to navigate properly. You bless them with what they need. And all this grief work that we're doing, this is part of inviting the Holy Spirit to sanctify our imagination. So, back to the grief inventory. How does it work? And you all have a sheet of paper with you, right? A handout on grief inventory. And for me, you know, everyone, if you're a human, you've had trauma, right? If you're alive, you've experienced trauma because we're born into a broken world. So for me, in my early childhood, I actually had three attempted kidnappings in my early childhood, which for a long time left me with the spirit of fear up until my 20s. Um, And I've done a lot of work on this before, but I want to give you an example of what it looks like to do a grief inventory, okay? Just so that it's not like a blind thing. I want to show you. So when I was doing my grief inventory on my silent retreat, I wrote on the left hand side, okay, that first attempted kidnapping when I was three years old. Okay, so how did you feel? What did you feel? Well, fear for sure, anxiety, suspicious. I was very suspicious and even though I didn't do anything wrong, I felt a lot of shame. I just wanted to hide Um, and a lot of other emotions in there too, a heightened sense of awareness and all of this. What did I lose? Well, there is the innocence of trust that was lost. Um, What are the results? Well, I became extremely hypervigilant, even to this day, even though I've gone through healing, I'm still extremely hypervigilant. I walk into a room, I scan it. I can tell you who feels safe, who doesn't feel safe. (laughs) And uh, and it's there. Uh, that's part of what changed me. But you really, you can write and you can write and you can write until all of the things are out. And then on your sheet it also says, where was Yeshua in the midst of this trauma, right? Where was he? Because it's important for us to know where he was. And you can ask him, where were you, Lord? What were you saying? And what were you doing in the midst of this And that, my friends, is probably one of the best parts of a grief inventory. So, I did this grief inventory. I thought, you know, I don't think I have a lot to write down. Really, you know, I've done a lot of work, inner healing work. I don't know, 18 pages later, six hours later of writing. I was like, oh, man, I'm a mess. Um, And. At the end, I thought, I need to burn this thing. One, I don't want my kids finding it around the house, like, Mom, <laughs> you know? And also, I don't want to go back and reference it. Once it's out, it's out, and it's given to the Lord. So I threw it in the fire, and then I went upstairs to my room, and I laid down on my bed, and I just prayed, just a prayer of surrender, Lord, I'm giving this all to you you know you've been there, you've been present, you know everything that has happened. You know my heart, you know my anxious thoughts. You know it all, so I'm giving it to you. And I was just there, quiet, probably eight to 10 minutes. And then suddenly, there was this bubbling up of grief. And I wept, and I wept, and I wept probably for a solid hour. And you know the kind of weeping that you do when you, there's like weeping, and then there's the weeping where you sound like the Count from Sesame Street, or Rechov Sumsum, Sum, depending on what you grew up watching. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh. you know, it's funny, you can laugh. And I got to that part where you can't even take a breath and you're just in a fetal position before the Lord. All of these things and incidents flashing before me and I'm just giving them to the Lord and giving them to the Lord and giving them to the Lord. And I realized in the midst of that, I'm like, Lord, what's happening here? Why is this so severe and intense? And I was grieving the death of me how I had changed from his original intent, how I had let circumstances affect me and my outlook on life, I was grieving the death of me. And so the rest of the day I just became, I was like really, I felt like I was an egg cracked open. And I was just leaky. You know how you know how you get when you grieve? Sometimes a song comes on on the radio and you're fine and then that song comes, <gasps> and you're sitting at a stoplight, you know, or, is someone says something maybe that a friend said before, and you're oh, you know? It just comes out, and you don't really have a lot of control over it. You know what I'm talking about. So the rest of the day, I just felt really leaky. <laughs> and I went to sleep, had a good pair of time before I went to sleep. And the next day, I woke up, and the most miraculous thing happened. I woke up, and all the waters of my heart, all the waters of my soul, my spirit, everything was like calm, totally calm. It was like Yeshua had just come and said, peace be still, but teeming with life underneath the surface. And it was, like, transformational. I didn't know how to respond, so I'm, like, nudging my husband, Honey! Habibi! Habibi! Tim! I feel like I just got restored to original factory settings. Something radically changed inside of me, and as I was proce- I'm like, what is going on? And as I was processing it throughout the day, I remembered, oh, yeah, Dr. John Townsend? He said that this is one of the things that you do in order to process PTSD and complex PTSD, is you write a grief inventory, and there's something that changes in your brain when you write it down with your hand, not typing it out, but writing it out, and you write, and you write, and you write, and you write till it's all out. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. And I was having you know lunch dates with my friends and coffee dates. And they're like, Candace, what happened to you? You are so different. I'm like, oh, you, I got to tell you about this grief inventory. And they're like, what? <laughs> you know, so excited about something so sad. But the Lord is so faithful because we don't have to grieve as the world grieves. Amen? We don't grieve as the world grieves. We grieve... As those who have hope. And we can even taste the resurrection power of Messiah Yeshua this side of heaven. And we're sitting here today, and, and I love the scripture actually from Isaiah sixty six thirteen, 13. Because if you remember, maybe when you were little, you fell down and hurt yourself, and you're crying. And I hope that you had a loving mom who scooped you up in her arms and just lavished her love on you. And the Lord says, as a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. And we're here today on the Holy Shabbat, the Lord's Shabbat, and we're here after the plague. We're here after the plague And the Lord has this divine invitation for us, for you as an individual and a family and a community to recalibrate before His presence. Because you know what? Your story is not over. All the good works that the Lord has prepared in advance for you to do, they're not done. There is so much more and the calling that he has placed upon your life and upon your marriage if you're married and upon your family and upon this community, it is not over. Amen? It is not over. There is more to be done. And the Lord is regathering his people. He's healing his people. Beth Hallel has been a place where the river of the Holy Spirit flows, bringing healing to this community. And he's going to use all of you again to bring healing to greater Jewish Atlanta and beyond. And beyond. And sometimes, you know, you know like when you take a nap in the middle of the afternoon and then you wake up kind of groggy and you're, you're kind of good for nothing for the rest of the day? Maybe I feel that way. It's time for us to wake up. Not that we've all been sleeping, but we've been in a different state. Our alertness has been distracted into different places and we've been hiding behind all sorts of Reasons, aka excuses. Maybe because our heart is occupied with grief. Maybe because we've lost the purpose of why we're here and what we're supposed to do. But I want to tell you, my friends, that the Lord is inviting you into this river of grief. He is there. He will bear your pains, bear your burdens. And you may feel like I did, that the grief is so overwhelming that I would be consumed and dunked in the water, not able to even have any air. But he'll pull you out. And when you come up, you will be raised with resurrection life. And we need that resurrection life and that resurrection power to fulfill the will of the Lord in our lives for this day, for such a time as this. Rabbi Kevin.
1: Let's bow our heads for just a moment. Wow, what an amazing word. I want to ask if there's anybody who's here today who's never said a prayer to receive Yeshua into your heart, if you've never committed your life to God, but you'd like to, all it takes is a simple prayer, a simple and sincere prayer. If you've never said a prayer to receive Yeshua, never committed your life to the Lord, but you want to today, lift your hand and we'll have a simple prayer if that's you. If you've never given your life to God, but you want to, most of us in here have, but if you haven't, raise your hand, we'll have a simple prayer. Oh, Lord God, I want to thank you, Lord, for this, and, and, and for for everybody who's in here. Wow. Rebbets and Candice's word and message was very, very, very deep. Very deep. Wow and so incredibly timely for us in this season, in our congregation and timely for us in our families and and where we're at in this country right now too. So I wanna encourage you to to dig deep with the Lord and to examine yourself and uh, as to what, how the Lord needs to work in your life in this area Grieving is holy work, as Candace said. And so, Lord, I pray right now for our kahila, for our congregation. Lord, that you will just uh, renew us, as the the musician sang a little bit earlier, that you will renew us, Lord God. and, uh, and, And turn to us as we turn to you, oh Lord. Heal us, Lord. Heal us, Lord God. It's okay to be vulnerable before the Lord. He, he will take care of you. Thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you, Lord. Touch us where we need to be touched. Thank you, Lord. Lord God, thank you for, for Candace, Rebbitz and Candace, and please touch her. I think we all can agree to ask right now for the Lord's blessings on Candace, God, and her sweet family. Just had a child get married, in fact. And Lord, touch her and, and Rabbi Tim. Touch their family. Be with them, God. Bless them. God, please touch Congregation Baruch Hashem in Phoenix, Arizona. God, let that place be a beacon of your light to the Jewish community of, of Arizona. Lord, thank you for for this congregation and for the work of the Slip family over there. Lord, please bless them all. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful word that I think is going to inspire and encourage and help kind of give us a boost that we need for the next season here. Yeah. Thank you for these things, Lord. We love you and bless you. In the name of our Messiah, we pray amen
0: and amen. or Shabbat services, Saturday mornings at 11. God bless and shalom.